episode 138 of no challenges remaining it's our season five premiere hi courtney <laughs> welcome a, to season five of ncr i i mean to this day i still can't believe that we're still doing this podcast <laughs> considering how innocuously it started as a bit of a whim but yeah season five that's like more seasons than seinfeld i believe no seinfeld had nine seasons it had nine seasons, nine seasons what show am i thinking of that it was like uh, really pl- good plenty of shows didn't make it to five so let's see well arrested development Arrested development yeah they did friday they did. night lights okay um but i'm thinking something old that was seinfeldian where i'm like really were there only that many the seasons? british office only had like two seasons well yeah but that's british tv yeah. they, they don't they don't do the greedy the greedy run until you die uh style of television Brady Bunch only had like five or six maybe yeah maybe five maybe. anyways anyway we're it's, here it's it's you know it's notable let's talk about where we are we yep. are in brisbane in some extremity of pat rafter arena um this porch near the player lounge where we see there's a slovak tennis table tennis showdown going on with norbert gombosh playing as chepelova and sibokova watch on wrapped and yun chung playing it's all happening it's here. all happening it's all happening in addition to all of that it's also pouring rain um so yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dicey day here in brisbane we're recording this on what is today tuesday yep tuesday brisbane time um so yeah it's been a, a pretty eventful day maybe not so much on the court but off of it but i guess we'll we'll talk about all of that i think it's added to the juriness a little bit yeah um, I think so. of the of the pullouts which you're referring to uh gombos just want a point anyway uh, uh we can we, do play by play yeah, ping pong yeah. I mean, we're happy we to can do that. uh we can uh start with the withdrawals we had today which were from uh first maria sharapova pulled out with setting a left forearm injury which was the same injury i think that first flared up in wuhan correct for her that she retired mid-match against a Bezos with that injury and she pulled out here where she was going to play today in her first round against Katarina Makarova which is going to be a theoretically great match uh, rematch of last year's Australian Open semi and then less than an hour later I think uh, Simona Halep pulls out with a left leg injury which she later uh, specified was to her Achilles tendon um, add on top of this over in Perth Serena Williams uh, pulling out of her first match at least at Hotman Cup setting knee trouble uh, have Vicky Duvall take her place there what do you make of three of the top five women pulling record very early on before the season even starts? This is not auspicious, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> no, it's a it's a pretty brutal uh, first couple of days, I think, for, for the top five women, for sure. I think that one thing that it does highlight is is the short off season. Yeah. Because when you look at these injuries, these aren't acute injuries. These aren't injuries that just fluke occurred on the practice court, rolling of an ankle, ACL tears. All three of them had had this injury before. Exactly. These are yeah. long-standing injuries and injuries that you need time to heal. I mean, in particular, you talk about, um, uh, well, all three of them, because you're talking about inflammation issues with respect to ligaments and tendons and, and you know, uh, uh, joints that are imperative in tennis, mainly an ankle, a knee, and a, and a kind of wrist forearm situation. So that, that's going to highlight that. You know, I think that that's kind of my initial takeaway from it is just this is tennis kind of shooting itself in its own foot to, um, if, I, if I can put it that way, I, I just think that, you know, what can you do when you don't have the time to heal, when you don't, um, aren't given the opportunity to, to heal. And, you know, we can, each one of the situations is a little different. You know, you look at Serena Williams, she obviously shut her season down in September, so it's a little bit of a different situation because she did have, you know, ostensibly three months to kind of chill out and let things heal and things like that. But obviously, you know, she's older now. It's tougher for those things to, to heal, especially with a key joint like the knee, which takes so much impact, especially on hard courts. Then you have Maria Sharapova, who had a very busy off season. She, um, when I spoke to her in L.A., uh, she basically said, you know, I probably shouldn't have played IPTL. I wouldn't have if I knew that I was playing the Fed Cup final. But once the commitments are made, she tries to show up for them. So she was a bit behind the ball. And that was just a couple of weeks ago that she admitted that. Um, and then you have Simona Halep, who, you know, obviously played through Singapore, was compromised there, was compromised through China as well. 
and um, you know told me um, for the Insider podcast that the first thing that she thought of when she hopped on the plane to, to leave Singapore and go home yeah. was, oh, thank God, like, you know, the season's over, you know, I, I, you know and she gets some time off. Um, but unfortunately, it looks like, you know, she wasn't able to, to really take as much time off as she needed to let things heal up. And, and these are longstanding injuries, and, and these are injuries that you just can't do anything about but let them heal. And when you have one of the biggest events of your season starting three we- two weeks into the season, it's just going to create difficulties for, for a lot of the players. So, yeah, so, I mean, it's a weird note to start the season off on. I mean, I think everybody, especially with Serena and Hopman, it's an exhibition more and more clearly that way. And she definitely plays an exhibition. Let's remember it's the anniversary of her, her coffee order and then losing to Jeannie and all that other nonsense and losing to Aga, which is a weird week for her. So I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to expect a lot out of Serena and Hopman necessarily. No. But that said, I, I think having this, this quorum of, of discomfort at, in the top five at this point, to use a, a strange phrase, makes is it going to be another wide open U.S. Uh, Australian Open? We just had a U.S. Open final. Let's remember between Panetta and Vinci. These are this is not expected. We had we've had a, the Australian Open held to form pretty recently on the women's side for sure. Everybody generally comes in healthy. The best players play their best, I and mean, that's what you definitely got last year. Yeah, with, what, with number with one, with number two, Serena and Maria, both pretty much at the top of their games. Uh, by the end of that tournament, uh, Serena had some health issues, I guess, but she had her her cold but overall it was a very clean tournament for them and this time it seems like messy and, and I guess to move it to the rest of the field I, we, I, Garbine Muguruza has not played her first match here yet so for all we know she might be pulling out too because that would be just our luck to make it all about ourselves but uh, what, what, do you, what do you think does this automatically shift the, uh, some some uh, a benefit to the field, I guess. Well, the field, quote unquote. Sure. I mean, it, it, it's it's whenever top players go into a tournament, you know, kind of under an injury cloud, that's going to give the field a little bit more belief that it's a little bit more open. I think that it, again, we're talking about three different situations. I think that Serena and Maria have, over time, proven that they can go into a slam cold and be perfectly fine. I think Sharapova, in particular, is very good at going into tournaments cold and playing them well. Serena too. Serena and Serena too. too. But like, but Serena, but generally speaking, I think Maria. Maria has been able to do it because of her limited schedule. She's kind of used to it. Same with Serena. Halep is the one that I would be more concerned about. Mm. Um, she needs confidence. She needs match play. So I think that for her, you know, uh, I assume she's going in as the number two seed. Uh, I don't know how close she is uh, off the top of my head with the um, uh, Muguruza behind her. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. But, um, you know, that that's that's going to be a difficult situation for her, I think. But um, but for the on, on the whole... I think that going into this season, there was kind of a sense that it was going to be more, far more wide open than it was last season, yeah. just because we don't know where Serena is, you know, um, in terms of her physicality, in terms of where her game is at, how much time has she been able to prepare um, to make this run in, in 2016. So um, I don't think that these injuries really affect my sense from that. I, I, I kind of already thought it was going to be kind of a little right. bit more wide open. So. Um, this just simply confirms that, I think. Let's look back at 2015, the first week of the year. We had Djokovic losing to Karlovic oh my gosh, in yeah. Doha. And we had Serena Williams being an absolute kind of disaster in Hopman Cup. And people, Serena Williams' 2015 Hopman Cup was, it was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> she, she, she lost to Jeannie. I mean, she went back. She lost to Jeannie badly. Uh, she had to order coffee to beat Panetta. She lost to Aga, who she's never lost to in the the final and, and played really badly in the mix afterwards, although there was one great argument with all four players yelling at the chair empire, which was fun. Had that great Aga reaction gif, remember? Of, yes. of, of Aga's face just like falling. Just like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was all tremendous. Um, yeah, the, uh, the so all that is to say Serena and Novak each won three slams last year. Yeah. And so let's not get, I think, let's not, you know, get too, too, uh, too carried away with anything that happens this week. For yeah, better no, or worse. Remember, no. Let's remember, Ivanovic made the set finals here last year. And I think and I, that didn't lead to anything either. It didn't lead to anything. Sharapova, I think, withdrew from Brisbane in 2012 and made the final there uh-huh. at, at the Australian Open. So it's happened before where, you know, it, it's just a difficult thing to read into. Just like almost everything with the WTA, who knows? Week to week, things kind of change. I think that across the board, we'd like to see, I know for myself, and I have said this many times, I'd like to see a little bit more stability this year than, than uh, we saw last year. But, you know, we hope, we plan, God reigns. So we'll raining. see. It's, it's, ra- like, it's, it's like really, really rainy, like hardcore. It was when Maria announced her, her, her withdrawal this morning, like literally I was at, at the hotel because I was working on the, editing the other podcast. 
And all of a sudden, like, I had to stop recording my narrative intros because, like, the rain was coming too hard on the window. Like, it's like wow. the, 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 the skies just opened up uh, upon the announcement. So um, definitely surprising. Let's talk about one player who we have seen some, I think, I think more tangible, it seems like more concrete signs of good early on, even though just one match, only one match officially, uh, Victoria Azarenka played her first match against Lena Vesnina, qualifier, and won 6-2, 6-0. It was a lot tougher than the score indicated. Vesnina played pretty well. Very tight games, a lot through it, but Azarenka looked, looks fit, first and foremost, let's say that, and uh, her head seems to be in a good place, and she, I think, if you do, if you are taking these interviews, these uh, things are serious, I yeah. think that it's uh, pretty pretty clear that if there's someone who stands to pounce right away it could be her yeah no she looked i mean as anyone who listens to this podcast knows last year i was pretty um uh skeptical with respect to to vika's uh physicality she and fitness level um last year she wasn't where we were used to seeing her back in 2012 2013 you know that her peak season's 2013 so um you know she she was the player that i was most curious um, when I was kind of boarding my flight to get down here in Brisbane to seeing in person. Like, you know, she was very adamant about wanting to put in a, a heavy off season, get things in order, and for, by all accounts, just, just you know, eyeball tests of just looking at her, she looks markedly fitter. Um, and then just the way that she not just, you know, obviously the scoreline is deceptive in her 6-2, 6-love win against Vesnina. She won 12 straight games. But the first four games or so were really tight. I mean, it took almost 30 minutes to get through those, those initial games. They went to deuce, a lot of break points saved, game points saved. And she battled through, and, and she played with a confidence that you didn't see last year when she played Pliskova um, in her opening match, which she lost. Right. And uh, so that was, you know, it was kind of night and day. Um, she was really good in press, I thought. She, was, uh, she seemed pretty happy. Obviously, after a performance like that, there was no reason for her not to be happy, but you never know. Uh, with not just Vika, with many players, um, and uh, yeah, she seems to be in a, in a good spot, head, you know, headspace, and um, you know, with the way that the draw has opened up a little bit, with because that top half of the draw was really pretty brutal with Halep and Azarenka potentially right. meeting in the second round, and then um, Sharapova, if she would beat Makarova, would have played Petkovic, who looked awesome as well in her opening round. Uh, it was looking, and Benchich is in that group. Yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole thing in that top half. <laughs> So with those two withdrawals, and Vinci's actually playing Vinci's really well. playing really well, beating JJ and Tipulkova. So it looked really tight up there. But now with those two top names out, you know, it's 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 definitely interesting. I, I, at this point, Azarenka is my pick to, to to make it into the final under that top half. But you know, who knows? Everybody could withdraw tomorrow. Yeah, and she hasn't made a final <laughs> I think since two years ago in in, in Brisbane. So it's a it's a like a final or any final. No, she made Doha. Oh, Doha, right? So yeah. that's right. Yeah. Hasn't made many finals since uh, in, in a long. She hasn't made many finals lately. So let's leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, she. Uh, yeah. So let's let's actually hear a little bit from Vika in press about how she's feeling. Nice haircut, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Vika. Short. Feels good. Yeah. So, so how happy were you with that performance uh, to start the season? I was happy to be on the court. That was. Uh, that was. Um, it's been a while to be out there, you know, playing an actual match. It's uh, it's been a lot of practice, so I was just happy to go out there and um, and play and uh, be in front of the crowd and just compete. So I was happy to be able to do that. Physically, how do you feel just coming in? How is your usually players the whole off season to train and get in shape? Do you feel like you're where you want to be with that now? Um, definitely a lot better than. <laughs> last three years, I would say. So uh, I think it's a good start for me to. Um, I start to get my movement where I want, where I want it to be. Um, still in the process, I believe. And, but for the first match, and not having um, a lot of matches under my belt, you know, since September, I think it was pretty good. You know, just, it's always always a little bit of an adjustment of match play and reaction and. Rustiness, but um, so, but you know, it's it's a good start. Let's see what where it takes. In terms of getting better in the last three years, is that all just from being injury free and being able to train, or are there different things you were focused on, or different methods you were using that got you to this improvement? Um, I think uh, a little bit of both. Um, definitely, you know, uh, feeling uh, feeling in control of, 
of my movement is, you know, not thinking about uh, about pain. That's that's a that's a huge uh, huge element. But also, I worked a lot on getting my my movement a lot more efficient, being much more mobile and flexible. So, um, you know, for me, the, that work that I started is not has not ended. It's still just a big process. But I like to see the improvement that I. I've been able to do in those in those months. I think um, I think it's the right way. Mika, was the off season? I mean, did you work hard, like over a longer period of time with the, the training and things like that, to get yourself to a good physical base that you seem comfortable with, or was it just same amount of time that you committed but more intense? Mm, it was different. It was. Um, I mean, my training was different. I I did things that I didn't do that much before or I didn't maybe pay enough attention to it. Um, in terms of, you know, quantity, of course you put a, a big load of work um, in the off season, but for me it was more about structuring and uh, being very, um, paying a lot of attention to details, being very, um, ske schedule was very important for me, you know, waking up early was difficult part at the beginning, but um, now I wake up very early in the morning, so um, just changing the habits, I think, was was pretty uh, pretty big change for me. Despite your, uh, your frustration with injury, I mean, do you still come to Australia with an extra spring in your step just because of the past success you've had uh, in Melbourne? Um, well, Australia had nothing to do with that, you know, my injuries, that, that's for sure, so I'm very excited to, to go wherever I am, I'm just, you know, I'm just happy, you know, not, not that I'm injury free, I'm just found myself, I love myself, I'm happy, I enjoy playing tennis, and I think that's, that's a huge achievement to, to, to be able to put myself in this situation from where, you know, I was a year and a half ago. So I think that's my biggest achievement so far, and we'll see what results will bring. One other quick item before we get to the more meaty stuff in this episode. Your thoughts on Thomas Burditch leaving H&M, being this end of this era. This, this, this was uh, arguably maybe the most... Notab noticeable, let's say. Sartorially uh, noticeable or challenging. Sartorially line pushing. Conspicu uh, conspicuous. <laughs> let's say, I'm, I'm trying to use anything that's positive or negative. Leave, <laughs> leave value judgments to you uh, and to the listeners. But, Courtney, what is, what is Burnage H&M being done to mean for, mean for tennis? Here's my thing. And I feel like sometimes people don't. I don't know. I am all about people wearing crazy ass shit on Me court. Me too. Like I love it. I I may disagree with it. I may look think that it looks ugly, and I may have an opinion on it. But I'm all about it. Like wear crazy stuff so that there's stuff to talk about, and to make tennis a little bit different. Because in every other sport, everybody just has a uniform and it's fine. And yeah, people like, oh, here's the new Barca jersey. Oh, it's ugly or like whatever. But you know, we get to do that like every quarter of the season. And so I will miss you, H and M, and your whatever the hell that was, because I don't know if there was a single good kid. <laughs> I think it started out okay early on, but, like, it got it got weird, and then it seems to be getting intentionally weird. Like, when they started going flowers in the sort of laser, oh, yeah. laser Sears photo yeah. photo studio backdropping at the US <laughs> Open, all of that was, was a bit much. And, it, yeah, it just seemed like putting being attention drawing for a guy who I guess wants attention but doesn't also it's different than Bethany Maddox Sands who's, 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 who's the other common peacock if you will yeah. uh, in fashion but she does it in a way that seems to be like she really it's, it's self-expression that's Him okay. just seem like putting a, a wrapping like really fancy wrapping on like a roll of socks I mean I I think the problem for Burdick and it goes with kind of what we talked about last week uh, about his kind of stature in the game and about a guy who isn't Robin Soderling, right? He doesn't own it. He doesn't own the villain role. He gets up to the line and then he like backs away. And it's the same thing from the fashion side. It's like, if he would have owned it and bit was like, yeah, but there was something awkward about it all and a bit weird and it never really, you know who I think, it never felt right. You know who does own their weird fashion? Or I guess it hasn't been weird lately, but it's Stepanek. Yeah. When Stepanek wore weird stuff, I felt like he was just sort of being like, yeah, this is my uniform. I'm kind of weird. Yeah. 
And, he, and it works. Yeah. Because, and when you do that, it's just like, you know what? That is in line with your character, and that's fine. Weirdly, even Aga, she owns her disco dresses. Like, she's like, yeah, this is what I'm wearing. Camilla Georgie. Yeah, Camilla Georgie. She's like, this is what is happening right she now. She was practicing in a bustier. Yeah. <laughs> Super flexed. If you guys haven't seen it, you should go tee up Tumani Carroll's uh, the, the Twitter timeline because it is an epic photo. <laughs> Don't understand. Apparently there was an enormous crowd. <laughs> of very judgy Australian women who were like, what? <laughs> and very excited Australian men. <laughs> well, probably. probably. And probably. people crossing gender lines as well. Hey, you know, Camilla Georgie brings people together. <laughs> Or Bustier brings all the Aussies <laughs> to the yard. Uh, yeah, so so that's that's, that's your fashion update. Uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting. A bunch of players have new sponsors and stuff, and so all that stuff. Yeah, there. What happens. about that? I mean, we're seeing a lot more Asics, yeah, Asics um, so far. Asics is making you a big move. That's true. Um, you know, which is interesting. It's it's great. I mean, I you know you do need to have those kind of bit players who kind of consolidate some power to kind of move through. You know, like. Asics is a good one. I mean, New Balance doesn't have a ton quite yet, but we'll see if they, they start to make more of a move into tennis. Uh, Lotto, um, you know, has a few more players now. So, you know, we'll see. But but generally speaking, I will miss what I think H&M brought to the tennis world is the singular kit. Yeah. You know, I mean, because when you have like the Asics and the Nikes and the Under Armors and whatever, it's still a uniform. Everybody's still wearing the same thing, especially it was, Asics. It was so rare to get a, a singular kit on a top ten guy. Yeah, too. I exactly. Because like, Djokovic and Nishikori are Uniqlo, but those tend to be really boring. Yeah, I mean, they're not they're not adventurous at yeah. all. Those designs. So yeah, so uh, that was probably the longest fashion segment we've ever done uh, here. Uh, let's kick it to our our buddy Fierce Pierce. Fierce Pierce. Linda Pierce, who is the tennis correspondent and writer extraordinaire for the age of Melbourne paper and shows up in other papers too through the Fairfax Media group as well. She has been writing about tennis for decades and she is one awesome lady. She is an awesome lady. She is an awesome lady. And I have to say this about Linda Pierce because I was thinking about it today once we had dinner um, with Linda the other night that of all the people that I wish tweeted in the tennis world, Mary Carrillo is number one. I wish she had a Twitter account and I wish that she would tweet. But number two, like not far behind Carrillo is Linda C. Pierce who is on Twitter never tweets was really proud of herself that she drafted a direct message to me one time and like <laughs> at least five of the direct messages were like just like I can't believe I did it like, <laughs> um, but she's wonderful she is feisty she um, she's just a great she's just wonderful I, I I just love her to death you said something on your Twitter as you were flying into Australia about all Australian women being yes. badasses and I feel like Fierce Pierce Linda Pierce is very much exemplary of that yeah no it's for sure sort of, it's a sort of relaxed but also very no bullshit thing that she has going and as we'll talk to her about I mean like she has been on the game for a long time and Australian tennis has some drama <laughs> and it has has had it forever I mean it, it's, a, it's a more the way it's covered here is more drama intense I mean, just the I don't know exactly how that happened maybe we can discuss that and the characters she has to work with for the next maybe 10 years it looks like it's, it's a lot at this point I would if we were going to ask for a play out song I would want to play that Nick or Joe or Kevin Jonas song that jealous song because that's how I feel about Linda Pierce these days and the entire Australian media like what they have to work with for the next 10 years I'm so jealous <laughs> so that was Courtney naming all three Jonas Brothers really quickly I don't know yeah. no because we had to google them because they were on um, Rock and Eve like okay. uh, and, and he was or he was singing that song which my sister likes and I think is ridiculous and her husband thinks is ridiculous so we googled the Jonases and read up on them while he was singing there you go alright so here is Linda Pierce we're delighted to be joined by Linda Pierce aka Fierce Pierce <laughs> of the Melbourne Age not always fierce occasionally fierce often fierce often fierce, fierce in good ways only good ways I think so How are you? But thank you for being with us first of all oh, pleasure so we want to talk to you about what it is like Let's start, like, right now. Let's start, let's start in the present. What is it like to be an Australian tennis writer with all of these characters, let's use that word, you have in, uh, in, this, in this continent of the sport? What, yes. what, is, it, what is it like? Well, colourful char- colorful Aussie larrikin characters, I think yeah. some of them are. Um, it's very exciting, actually, to have some um, people to write about who have more going on than just what's happening on the tennis court. Um, so not always in a good way, but... But there's certainly no shortage of material for for Australian tennis writers at the moment. We had a bit of a period where Leighton was fading and Bernie was sort of there but not really and Sam was was holding the fort in a lot of ways. And, and now we've got Kyrgios, Kokonakis, Tomic, 
even you know Omar Jessica. There's a whole lot of, of guys coming through who can really play and have stories that people want to read about. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, do you like that? I mean, you know, there are some there are some tennis writers I've spoken to before who they would just prefer that tennis be kind of this clean gentleman sport, quiet. They just want to talk X's and O's and about all these statesmen of the game and things like that. I mean, and then there's, I mean, I definitely count myself as one who's like, I like when, you know, there's crazy stuff happening all the time. So where do you fall? I still like the statesman, of course, and Roger (laughs) being my all-time favourite. Right. But there's certainly room for more stories than that and the people in Australia who only really see tennis in January and they flick onto Wimbledon in the middle of the year, this will almost sustain them for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the, the twelve months. So so I guess what you started tennis when? What? In the eighties. In I the eighties. So, <laughs> so, I've seen some things. So how, how how is covering the sport it just whatever way you want to do it, how has that uh, trans evolved for you as you've been as you've been doing it? Well, back in the 80s, um, I went. My, the first Australian Open I covered was just as a bit of a sort of a helper when I was at the Herald Sun. So there was all the sort of experienced um, senior tennis writers, and I just used to be part of the team for the, for the two weeks. First one of those was at Melbourne, with the first one at Flinders Park, as it was <laughs> Flinders then. Flinders Park. Okay. Um, and so from that, where there was no internet, there was no there was nothing like that. There's no podcast. There's no <laughs> um, to now where it's just crazy 24/7. The internet never sleeps, and so then neither do we. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you're still, though, I mean, you're still a print writer. You know, like, you're not, like, a pure, for me, I'm pretty much pure web. Um, you know, Ben is mostly web, but a lot of print as well. But, I mean, how has the kind of, for you as an Australian writer in particular, how how much has it changed for you? A lot, because we used to have certain deadlines at certain times of the day, as we all know, and then you could go home or right <laughs> or something and go to now, dinner with you know friends yeah exactly yeah, i've heard now, about the good old days when uh, you guys could just peace out at like you know four o'clock because deadline was done not quite yeah <laughs> 4, well 4am but um and now we have to get in there to do a video preview before right. the start of the day and then we have you know ongoing commitments to the web and then we still have some and then a lot of those stories then go up live before well before the print edition has hit the printer um, and so it's just a yes it's a, it's a way different way of operating now it's not just sit on that and craft it and send it at six or seven o'clock it's right. like okay they want something instant so that's what you have to do yeah you normally when I see Linda at the uh, normally at the majors you're just buzzing it is just you just see Linda just running around like taking care of everything and it's it's I mean I, I assume that yeah for covering the open in particular the Aussie open that it's it's a busy couple of weeks for you. It is, although it's less busy than say Wimbledon is in some ways oh, because really? we have a team of writers oh, yeah. at the Australian Open because we're a Melbourne based newspaper the age. So therefore you can have someone coming in late and doing the night session, you can have four other people who are sitting with you workshopping things right. and delegating and, and all of that. Whereas at Wimbledon it's just you, yeah. you and the wire services. <laughs> yeah. And so you try to do everything all the time and right. sometimes you do it better than others. I remember the curious night after he'd beaten Nadal and it was a late finish and I think I was still going at about 2 or 3 a.m. Yeah. for various um, web stories and then I got a call from the boss late saying, have you got anything fresh for print for the next day? And I said, I've written about 5,000 words. What are you talking about? <laughs> Something fresh for the next day. No, I don't. Yeah. So, so, so I guess in Australia, obviously Australia was like the tennis country in the 60s when you had Rod Laver, Margaret Court, Rosewall, Emerson, all these people who, you know, before and after, Australia was the place and a lot of those figures, maybe their arena's named after them now in Melbourne Park. They have... You know, even uh, Ken Rosewall in Sydney and everything there. It seems like, here, yeah, it seems like the yeah. legends of the retired players have a bigger presence in Australia than they do anywhere else. And I, they're all still alive at this point. Well, still. that's right. And yeah. also because there's been such a scarcity of current legends yeah. to to usurp them or to, to make their, their contribution seem less important. But and also when you've got a Labour or a Margaret Court or a... Rosewall, or I mean, you want to keep celebrating those people, and and so there's we've got no one in that category who's played for a long time to, to rival what they achieved, and and we do love, and they were such gentlemen, and, and there was this great Aussie spirit of tennis which people are still clinging to because yeah. well it was pretty good times. It's been, but that that spirit has been obviously was appreciated then, but it's been disrupted to say the least by I mean even Leighton had was rough around the edges when those guys were, and then obviously Curios is a whole different. But we had Saint level. Pat there in the middle. Yeah, you did, you did. And <laughs> Hence yeah. St. Pat Rafter Arena, the cathedral, as it were, here Correct. in the yeah. Queensland Tennis Centre. I'm just wondering, do you think there's a, do you think Austin Tennis is going through like a culture shock 
now. Can you sense that talking? Because you still are very close with all the old, a lot of the old players, ones you overlapped with, and even ones who just know you. Not a not a huge number of people in Aussie tennis. So I mean, it's a small family. Yeah, it's yeah. A small, yeah. small group. So I just I'm wondering what what is the reaction? How do you see? Is there like a, a sea change going on, or, or people coming to grips with with the new new stuff? Or I think there's how does a bit of working? coming to grips going on. Yeah. Um, you talk to some of the old guys, and they some of them are more enthusiastic than others about the likes of Kyrgios and Tomic. Um, and and so, but they also, I think a lot of them do understand that that's, that's changing times. I mean, even guys like John Newcomb at the John Newcomb medal this year, I was chatting to him about some of the young guys, and he gets that, you know, we can't all live in the past. Yeah. And so as much as it would be tempting to, given how great the past was. Right. <laughs> but, but there's still... There's still a lot of disapproval of various things that have gone on this year, certainly. Yeah. For sure. Leighton Hewitt, speaking of uh, players shifting to the Legends side, uh, is finishing up in this year, it's finally. Uh, wh- what has it been like covering? Because you've been with him for his whole career. Yes. So, uh, he had a long career. <laughs> you've been there every step of the way, pretty much. How, is uh, that, how, is that, how has that ride been for you? Oh, however you want to, however bumpy. much detail you want to go into. Bumpy. bumpy. Okay. Uh, Leighton and I are getting on fine these days. We had some yeah, very rocky road at the, at the start when I think I interviewed him interviewed him for the first time when he was orange boy in Zimbabwe. I have no idea what that means. (laughs) So in the Davis Cup we have the players and they take along a young kid to each tie as a hitting partner and they call them the orange boy. So pretty much everyone comes and we still do it. So every tie there is an orange boy and so Leighton was the orange boy in Harare in 1998 I think it was. 98 or 99. And and so the team was, not a bad team actually, it was Rafter, Philip Pusis and the Woodies. Um, That's good who team. were yeah. a good yeah. team at the time and I remember going to Robert McGarvey's one of his residences for the draw and people were pointing guns at people and it was all quite Jeez. and then there was no doors on the stadium it was in the middle of a paddock it was... <laughs> <laughs> and I remember talking to Leighton for the first time then um, and then by the next year he wasn't speaking to me because of something that someone else wrote in the age and <laughs> we pretty much didn't speak for a very very long time and then um, a few years ago at Hopman Cup they tried to tempt me over there and said oh Leighton will do a one on one with you if you come and I said oh come on you're kidding and he did and so we've, done, Middle East. <laughs> we've done a few on and off since then and I'm still waiting though for the Leighton Hewitt retirement interview, which I have sort of not been promised, but his agent was trying to organise for me, but it hasn't quite come before, through Before yet. the tournament? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I guess, I mean, I, you know, that's one thing that, you know, tennis is already very small as a sport, as a global sport in terms of like the number of players and the media and things like that relative to other major sports. Then you go country by country, it gets even smaller. And then you get into the, exactly that, which is the, and I feel like sometimes maybe there are a lot of decisions that happen behind the scenes that, you know, fans might not understand, like, why is this happening or that's happening that have to do with that, which is the conflicts that happen, the kind of personal vendettas, the resentment that weirdly come out of nowhere that people are constantly feeling. I mean, what's your experience been with that? Definitely. So people would ask me often, oh, what do you think of Leighton? And, and then I'd sort of give them a bit of background to things that have gone on over the years and then they get a better perspective on why things are written or not written and all right. of that and so we've been incredibly lucky with Sam Stoza yeah. I think because she well there's a couple of people in the Australian media that she's not that fond of as well so I mean it's, yeah it's um, that's gonna be everywhere exactly in, in every, in but every... I have found her just a delight to deal with in terms of accessible and just you know just lovely really and yeah. so it was such a thrilling moment when she won the US Open and okay. played that incredible match that no one thought I don't think even she possibly thought maybe could have had in her right against Serena at Flushing Meadows. It was it was fantastic. What, what, what do people make of Sam? So Sam obviously doesn't, has never generated the buzz that Kyrgios already has without ever breaking top twenty. Right, mm-hmm. we feel like point. we're constantly reminding people like mm-hmm. you realize that for all of the hype that these kids have, there's like a woman on the other side that's ranked higher than them. You know, up until I mean, this even, last even year. Kokonakis, yeah. let's say, get, gets a lot of attention yeah. more, more than, than more hype than, than Sam ever like, got. I don't know. For oh, not absolutely. Being top 50. I wrote a piece on Kokonakis for um, which I did the interview great, in December. By the way. Thank you. But then when he pulled out on Christmas Eve of the summer, I had to do a mad, crazy salvage job to get that uh, printable. And um, I've had thousands of hits on that story for a guy who's not even playing this summer. And yet yet a story on Sam, possibly because we're just a bit Sam weary now. I mean, Mm. there's not much new stuff or there's nothing new really to ask her or write about. So it's more just a, you know gradual update of where she's at and and people she's because she's quite a she's very private person and so she's never let the Australian public in to the degree that some of the guys have you know for better or worse right and she's not flashy on court (laughs) no you know she just kind of is workmanlike the attention which is kind of uh, you know it's the irony there too because she is kind of a callback to the 
that type of player that I would think Australia would embrace and they would celebrate, especially when I see all the backlash against these, mm. this young, current, brash, you know, uh, set of, you know, she's, she's a classy, you know, nice woman who just does her business, workmanlike and all that. But yeah, I remember when I was here in 2011, I went to um, the Fed Cup tie in Hobart. Yes. And uh, yeah, and uh, I remember sitting in the stands because I was there as a fan. And I uh, was talking to a bunch of the women who were sitting around me, just trying to get a sense, like, what do you think of Sam? And, and yeah, they all kind of were like, well, she's nice. And that was kind of as much as that, that they, could, they could go with. You know, well, she seems lovely, and that, that's about it. And, and it was always trying to figure out, like, what does Sam need to become the thing that, you know? Yes, I, I, I think part of it, there was that period when she was wearing the sunglasses and no one could sort mm. of see her eyes even. And it was almost like she was closing people right. out. And yeah. I think, and not deliberately. No, but, not at all. But she didn't also open herself to them so I think they as I said before I think they just found her a little bit hard to get to know and so and there was a period though after she won that US Open for a couple of years when she was huge here yeah really big so okay that's yes, good yes a yeah. lot of if you if you were talking about um most popular sports people she'd always get a mention in the top 10 and then you talk about a number of hits on, on, on websites for stories that you've written and she was big but still someone like Rafter kills me every time you put a Pat Rafter you know mention in any headline it tri- right. triples your readership yeah, straight away sure. even, still, even still it's that far even still yes yeah. when did when did the Tomic family first come onto your radar well, um, I did a story on Bernie when he was the, for the first time when he was 14 or 15 and spoke to John, who was offering to buy me champagne somewhere or other. Or <laughs> I to be an Australian tennis journalist. This is um, what I've but then he didn't realize. like a line in the story, so then I was banned for a while. No so champagne for you. No, none, none. Um, and then we've had this sort of kind of crazy... Uh, association over the years, the Tomics and myself. I, I really like Bernie, I must say. I, he does make me laugh. He's great copy. He's <laughs> into all sorts of scrapes that make for very um, entertaining reading. Yeah. And and John, I'll just occasionally hear from him out of the blue. The funniest one probably was after he went to jail in Madrid. And um, I was, I heard I was like, which comic, which jail? Exactly. I was like, John, John, it's Bernie. John, John. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was the Monday morning and I got up to all the headlines of John Tomick has been in jail, the whole, the right. whole thing with Thomas Truway, and I was walked my daughter to school, and as I walked back in the front door, I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this today? And my phone rang, and it was a no-caller ID, and I was making a cup of tea, and I thought, oh, I better get that. And I hear, Linda. <laughs> and I say, straight away I knew who it was. John, hello, hmm, what have you been up to? And, um, and then he, rang, he said he was ringing to say that he was not in the jail. And I said, so it wasn't his one phone call from jail. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been then. epic if his one phone call was to Linda Pierce. <laughs> uh, so he was out by then. And I said, yes, John, but were you in the jail You know, yesterday? Ah, long story, Linda. Long story. <laughs> and I'm trying to scramble for a pen and paper to write it all down. And in the end, he said he'd ring me back the next day after my daughter, like he always does. And then I didn't hear from him again for a little while. But we always... Somehow, yeah, <laughs> okay. somehow, somehow your paths cross. Yeah, so yeah. he's up here in Brisbane, so um, or the Gold Coast. Anyway, I haven't seen yeah. him at the court, so I'm sure I'll run into him this week. What, what, is, what is your take? We have we had this debate a lot when the Kyrgios Favrinka situation, to call it that, uh, happened last summer. Do you think this this drama and everything is overall good for tennis? That they have they have so much extracurricular activity happening in young Australian tennis. Uh, you know, these two guys obviously Kokonakis had this one minor dust up with Harrison, but. Still, we blame the American. Of course, yeah, of naturally. Sure, we'll take it. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but what, what do you think overall, as a, as a reporter, just from your perspective, let's start with... First. I'm not sure that I'd say it was good. I, I would say that it certainly generates pub- much-needed publicity, Okay. but I wouldn't say it's necessarily yeah. good. I don't think... People say to me all the time, oh, you know, that's silly, those silly kids, and, you know, Bernie's not a kid anymore, but um, Nick still is, I yeah. think, so we have to cut him some slack, but I think he's... He's playing a dangerous game with the goodwill of the Australian public. Yeah. What is your, I mean, just for people who, you know, don't come to Australia, don't know much about it, in terms of just giving our listeners, I guess, some insight into kind of the Australian sporting culture. Like, what is it that, you know, I mean, Americans, we're quite brash. We like winners. If you win, we don't care. You know, if you're a jerk and you have trophies, we're happy about it. You're celebrated. Attitude is fine. Not quite the same here. Leighton was winning and people still weren't that right. fond of him for example so for people to say like they have to me oh as soon as he wins one everyone will love him right. again I don't think that's the case um, people want to like their sporting heroes yeah. in Australia and I think they would rather them come second and be a good guy yeah. than, than win and be a you know, shocker 
Yeah, yeah, that's very un-American. I'm, just, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious for you because you you were a female sports reporter and it started an era where there probably weren't that many, at least in the U.S. I know there's been a, it's still a minority for sure of sports reporters. I'm wondering what that was like for you in Australian sports culture, which does seem to have, there's you know, a bit more machismo. Yeah, it's a boys' club. Every every sport culture is, I think, on some level, but here especially maybe more. Well, I write, used to write football, Australian football and cricket um, primarily when I started out, and so that was very much a blokey culture. Yeah. Um, and had some, I would be thrown out of locker rooms and things, a bit like, what's the, Lisa Rolson, yeah. you know, there was yeah. a bit of that going on for a few years. Yeah. But tennis was never like that because there was always women writers and there was always women players, yeah. which made it very different. So I have never had any issues at all in tennis with the boys' clubs and, and things. Well, not that, I, not that I'm aware of anyway. I mean, <laughs> I might have been, I don't know. No, I think tennis has been fine to I've got to say, on the whole. And the and the age is an incredibly good employer. There was a period until last year where the chief football writer, chief cricket writer, and myself were all women. And wow. the chief cricket writer is now the sports editor. And wow. the chief football writer is cool. still the chief football writer. So we have a very um, equal opportunity yeah. kind of culture in, our, in our workplace. That's good. I, I echo that on tennis, though, because when I talk to, you know, my experience has only been in tennis. I've never covered any other sports. So um, it's always been pretty great. I don't feel like it's a boys' club. It's, you know, it's kind of merit-based if you're good you, you make it through and people recognize that and it's fine but when I talk to my friends who cover other American sports their experience is completely different I think that the presence of women uh, with the WTA and having joint tournaments and the Grand Slams it changes everything it does I actually got annoyed the other day someone the other day at a barbecue recently and some guy who uh, who was there from in our street said to me oh so do you write about men's tennis too oh and I said I was had I was fierce peers for a second. <laughs> I said, "Of course I do. Why wouldn't I? What yeah. just would I just write about girls? Are yeah. you kidding me?" So that was a rare kind of that was a uh, rare moment. Yep. Wow. Yeah, insult. <laughs> I love fierce peers. She's the best. Fierce peers, Shemetta. Thank you very much for being with us, fierce and switching on the fierce and often as, as appropriate. We appreciate that. Do you have? Do you have a? Is there a fierce peers theme song? We usually have kind? like a. If you're a guest, you get to pick, pick an outro no, segment um, to play it. Any any song you want, really. Can that, that, I that just do think. the Helen Reddy Hear Me Roar? Sure, of course. There it is. is Love classic. it. <laughs> Thank, you Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Linda. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Linda, and thank you guys for listening to us once again and for your continued support we should start off with our kickstarter which is still going we have less than two weeks left on it now um 13 days left it's going to end sometime early not showing up with the time changing it got a little muddled was not exactly first ball but it's gonna be near then and we just passed the fifteen thousand dollar mark earlier which is 500 percent and we are all super yeah blown away Courtney when I saw Courtney she's like how did this happen (laughs) we were just like yeah Ben and I haven't seen each other since uh, since the US Open good to see so our reunion the other day was lovely and heartfelt Uh, that's probably the longest stretch of time that I haven't seen Ben in a very long time in a while in a very long time in maybe a couple years but um, yeah so it's uh, yeah but we were both just kind of blown away by it and it's kind of one of those things where in our heads we're like, yeah, well, of course we think that the product that we put out is worth X amount of money to people. But in like, or in my heart, I think that, but in my head, I'm like, nah, nobody's going to, nobody's going to care. So the fact that people have rallied has been just tremendous. And uh, yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, we have some, we had added a couple new rewards in addition to all the old ones, which are mostly still available. Um, we have a new one where we get your tournament program from anywhere on tour, which is interesting. Tracking those down and uh, have another another one to be a guest director of episodes and come up with your own ideas, topics, and how you want uh, ideas of your choice covered by us. So those are there. We also have all our other stuff: the the postcards, the one on one Skype chats with us. Are you getting your your, your postcard writing? I'm wrist worried. I'm, I'm genuinely worried that I might have to withdraw from the Australian Open with the carpal tunnel syndrome, so uh, or writer's cramp or whatever it's going to be. But happy to do it. Happy to do it. It's uh, it'll be fun. I'm actually kind of like excited about coming up because you know they're not going to be stock responses you guys these are going to be like you know kind of like what we did that day or just a heartfelt thanks or whatever so i'm kind of fun i'm looking forward to that it'll be a lot of late writing challenge yeah you crack open you know a sixer of bogs boags whatever that beer is called and uh you know just start writing and those of you who catch me on the sixth one 
there are going to be some words, yo. Might have to add like a post-it note or something to an event. Fold out. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, let's look forward to that. And we uh, thank you guys for following us when you're not getting postcards from us or not listening to the show by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can also like us, uh, follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Uh, if you want to send us questions about upcoming shows or comments or feedback, whatever, queries, complaints, questions, etc., our email is nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on any podcasting service with our RSS feed or in, our, in their directories and leave us reviews there, especially iTunes. We appreciate that. Yes. Let's uh, rant rave? Yeah. All right. And we'll, oh, I should say we'll have, a, we'll have a link to the Kickstarter in the description of this. If you still want to give in these last two weeks as time takes away, Courtney... Rant rave time. Yes. What you got? I have two raves. Oh, boy. Yeah. Pretty excited about it. First one is I just finished the first season of Unreal. Okay. Which is a great show. And it was a show that was... At one time, they actually did a Slate Culture Gabfest segment on it way early. And they, they liked it. And so I was like, okay. So I kind of kept it in the back of my mind, but I never thought to watch it. But it's a show, 10 episodes, that ran on Lifetime weird super weird right super weird of a channel a lot of acclaimed tv comes out of life no no so it's a one hour kind of drama 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 dramedy that is basically the behind the scenes of a batch a fictional bachelor type show okay so um it stars sherry appleby is it a mockumentary it's not a mockumentary no it's a drama um but uh it stars sherry appleby which if you are of a certain age you know was the protagonist in the show roswell back in the day when the wb or the cw used to exist or the WB. It was a WB yeah. show. Um, and back in the Dawson's Creek era. But anyways, she kind of, for me at least, completely disappeared. Um, but now is like the lead in this show. And it's really, really funny. It's really, really great. It's kind of basically is about how manipulative human beings can be and about the realities of what it takes to produce those types of shows where you are basically manipulating everybody to do certain things. It's great. It was super entertaining. I watched it um, on the plane and then I finished it up here. So I would recommend that. It's on iTunes. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, unfortunately, but it was worth the money. Um, So yes, Unreal. And then the other is a... um, I've been listening a lot. Obviously, it's not a secret. It's a great album. But to um, the Father John Missy album, I Love You, Honey Bear, which is wonderful. But the one song on it that I listen to like over and over and over again and I just really, really love is called The Night Josh Tillman Came to Town. Um, And I don't know. Google it, Spotify it, whatever. Listen to it. it. Yeah, and specifically pull up the lyrics and read them because I think that actually... Um, uh, Tillman's a great lyricist he writes some pretty cutting lyrics and the whole song is basically him ripping on a girl that I think he's dating for being like this vapid stupid human being and it's wonderful <laughs> like it's like there's some cutting cutting lines the diss track from Father John Misty it's basically a diss track and okay. um, he makes fun of her like the word malapropism is in the song good lord how do you write yeah. that um, it's in there wow. um, basically about how she misuses the word literally um, and like how he's having a wonderful kind of singing moment and then she says oh I sound exactly like Sarah Vaughn and he like turns and he's like oh I hate this girl <laughs> so it's um, it's great I love it I listen to it all the time and the whole album is wonderful and especially now that it's raining in Brisbane it's actually a good kind of rainy day album so back home where it's winter it's probably a good listen I feel like you have a lot of rainy day music in general. Oh, that's just my genre. That's Courtney music is rainy day music. The sky is crying and so am I. The sky, the sky is crying. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, it's a great album across the board, but okay. that song in particular is great. There you go. Um, my raves. I'm actually really surprised you didn't rave about Spy. I was expecting you to rave about Spy. I thought that I had already done that. I think, Rose, I mean, Spy is amazing. I've seen it a gazillion times. But, okay. Um, yeah, I, I happened to just rewatch it on the plane. Oh, you'd seen it before? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't no, know I'd okay. seen it, like, months ago. Okay. Um, I saw it for the first time on the plane. Okay, yeah. I, was... I mean, Spy is, to me, like, the most underrated movie that came out in 2015. Pretty like, fair. I totally thought it was going to be stupid, and it was great. Rose Byrne is tremendous. Definitely. Tremendous. All of that. So I will give a brief, brief rave to that. Another brief rave to Tim Tams, which I rediscovered again this week, <laughs> which are Australian. I feel like you don't rediscover Tim Tams. They live inside you. It's it's in your heart. And it's just like, you just need the, the Tim Tam to be there to unlock it. And then your heart 
Cavells. Last year, I was really excited about this red velvet flavor of Tim Tams yeah. I had, which were a novelty flavor. I later learned because they're not here this year. I'm hoping I can go to like some sort of Tim Tam outlet or something <laughs> once I get once I get to Metro Melbourne. <laughs> maybe they will have uh, have something like that. But I'm pessimistic, and those will those are more in my heart. That's that's more of a a food memory. Discontinued foods just always make me so sad. Um, and then my other rave will be for The Big Short, mm. which I saw uh, in December shortly before leaving, and it was good. It was a lot like Spotlight, actually, in its own way. It was it was sort of a... It's a comedic Spotlight. It was it was comedic, but it was just very... Di- the tone of it was so different. Like Spotlight is a very quiet movie about people like uncovering like a systematic abuse thing. The Big Short is a people... Uncovering systematic abuse in its own, in a different, very different sort of abuse, but they all have terrible wigs and are just like loud assholes, <laughs> and they're really funny. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and it's, it's a great just, cast. It's, it's really, it's way too star-studded. It's like distracting. Yeah. To the point where like you don't even bother learning the characters' names. It's like, oh, Brad Pitt's coming in here. Oh, and hey, then, like, that's Gosling. It's, it's yeah. Steve Carell. Yeah. Gosling's wig is the worst. Yeah. They put like they put like attractive people in really ugly hair. That was their method for this movie, and I, uh, it worked better than I thought it would. <laughs> As a technique. <laughs> that is that is very good. I actually will have one more rave okay. because it's somewhat timely uh, coming off of the heels of our last episode. But I would like to once again rave about making a murder. But this is like going to be a separate thing uh, in terms of the reason why. And the reason why is because everybody on the WTA is basically watching this show. And it's I've covered the, the tour for a while and I'm kind of used to the thing that catches fire as being a Bieber song or Taylor a twi- like Bad Blood by Taylor you know just like stupid crap or like when the Twilight novels were really big or Fifty Shades of Grey good lord what a all Rihanna the, when all the, yeah when all the women, when all the players were reading Fifty Shades of Grey that was a thing but it's been so incredibly refreshing and interesting to have like all of these players watch this thing and then the conversations in passing are like about the American criminal justice system. Like for me as a geek, like it's been really nice to have kind of these and like a geek kind of, lawyer, a geek lawyer, lawyer as well. Too. But like you know to have these kind of high-minded conversations about a very serious topic that people are incredibly passionate about right now. So thank you, Making a Murderer. You've kind of like made the start of the season. I don't know, kind of nerdy and geeky, and I hope that continues. I, I was with one of the WK College people who was obsessed with this show, and a player walked up to her. And she was like, oh my gosh, have you watched Making a Murder? And the player just looked like so blank. Just like, what? And she's like, it's on Netflix. And she was like, what is Netflix? And that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> Meanwhile, I... Not, so not everyone is watching. Not everyone. Not everyone. But many, many, many. Especially if they're like Americans or Europeans. They've been, they've been watching it. And uh, yeah, it's been good. Very good. And so this has been good. You guys will see you again next week from Melbourne, I guess, by then. Or at least from here. I'll we'll be in you. Sydney. But... We'll see you next week. Yeah. And uh, until then... Bye, guys. Oh, I just love the kind of woman who can walk over a man. I mean, like a goddamn marching band. She says like literally music is the air she breathes And the malaprops make me wanna fucking scream I wonder if she even knows what that word listen to Now Challenges remaining podcast, of course I do. <laughs> yeah, she does. I'm supporting the NCR.